later on today's episode. I really want to get it professionally done. I think there are more options today than ever before. Um, but they just, the mm -hmm. options just weren't there. They weren't there when I was in high school. And I can even remember a time when I was in college and, um, we were in the mall and I was in the, in the mall with a friend of mine who isn't light skinned, but much, many shades lighter than myself. And, um, you know, he was like, oh, you know, working the counter, trying to sell whatever he was. Oh yeah. Let me, you know, let me do y'all makeup or whatever. And did she go first? I want to say she went first. And then when I got in the chair and he was like, girl, you're so beautiful. You don't need no makeup. And then, I mean, that, that, at surface, that sounds like a compliment. But then I thought like, is it that I don't need makeup? Or is that it, you didn't even know how to do my makeup? Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, because yeah. I'm like, you a salesperson. You should at least be able to mm -hmm. offer me this color. <laughs> You're supposed to be able to get paid commission off. And then when I, I really sat in the chair, like he made me get out the chair. Like at first I thought he was just joking, you know, like, oh girl, you're so cute that you yeah, don't even, you know, ha 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 ha. You know what I'm saying? He ain't know how to do it. And I was like, you and that's a college it. experience. I was in college mm -hmm. when that experience happened. So, um, I'm comfortable being a girly that does not wear makeup. I wouldn't change that for a world for the world because I've, do feel that's just a part of me I just that's just me and my makeup because I'm just not I just don't like uh, things that require for me to do them on a daily basis when it comes to maintenance that's just we me. talk about this with hair too yeah yeah same thing girl yes yeah. that's why I like the locks I don't know what I'm gonna do when I Hello, this is Patrice. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Here at the Melanated Intellects Podcast, we talk about everything from Black mental health and personal growth to Black world history. And my name is Shayla. Here you will find a balance between topics everyone is talking about and topics no one is talking about. Either way, we guarantee we will be bringing our distinct intellectual perspective. Hey, 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 welcome back. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode. So we are back with another episode well into season four of Melanated Intellects. If you have not already gone to listen to the previous episodes in this season, make sure you do. We always have a good time on the Welcome Back episode. We share a lot of good information and updates. One of the biggest one being, just in case you did not listen to it, is that we will be releasing our episodes in a more fluid way in order to just give homage to me and Patrice's personal life, meaning you want to make sure you turn on your notifications so we won't be as structured with releasing the episodes as we have been in seasons one through three. Um, okay, so today we are here to talk about Black Beauty Effect. Black Beauty Effect, as in the Netflix documentary that came out very, very recently. Um, I don't have a date, but I know it was very recent um, within the last few months, I believe. Patrice, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last few months. Um, and uh, we got a lot to talk about. Um, it was a, a, a project put on by a lot of really influential Black women, um, so if you haven't watched it, please do, but I definitely think if any, any of us watch it, we're going to see names and faces that we recognize rather that be, um, from, you know, blogging, YouTube, Jackie Ina's in there, a lot of other, um, influential black women that we definitely know and are familiar with. Um, so we're going to break down a couple things, uh, when it comes to the documentary, it's, uh, three episodes, so it's not long, not long at all. And what I gathered from uh, this project that they did, the Black Beauty Effect, was speaking about 
are, as in Black people's impact on and the effect that we have to set trends and things of that nature when it comes to, to beauty in general. Um, so there are areas of focus with skincare, makeup. I'm going out of order. It was makeup first. Makeup, skincare, <laughs> then hair. You know, you really cannot talk about Black culture without talking about hair, which, of course, Patrice and I have done many times on our platform. So I'm going to give... Um, because they asked a lot, maybe all of the women, their definition of black beauty effect and kind of what that meant to them. So I'm going to just run down a couple of things. Some of it, I'm just going to ad lib and, and push together as far as my interpretation of what they said. But some of the things that were mentioned was um, shaping beauty standards um, and us being, like I said, uh, just trendsetters in regards to beauty. Uh, they also mentioned it being this intangible thing uh, that Black women have, that it comes in different shades and sizes and it's unapologetic and um, it just permeates popular culture, um, how we set the blueprint and we're evolving and unwavering and um, we're the future and the past. And um, those were just a few uh, of the things that they mentioned as far as uh, their definition when it comes to Black beauty effects. So you know what's coming. <laughs> I'm going to ask Patrice. <laughs> um, Patrice, what is your definition? So you y'all know what I'm about to ask, okay? <laughs> Her ass got so big. <laughs> you know funny. where I'm headed. Okay, uh, Patrice, uh, what is your definition of Black beauty effects? This was actually kind of tough to answer, but the best way I can articulate it or summarize it, I should say, is cultural innovation. That's probably mm. the best way that I can describe it. Um, there was a phrase that they used in the documentary, the future in the past, and I think that that was incredibly perfect. Um, and a revolution. So I, that's probably the best way that I would describe it from our fashion to our hair, to our music, to our skin, to our makeup, to our art. I like that. Um, I think for me, and I'm unpacking this real time, but some things that come to mind would just be ethnic individuality. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, a lot of ethnicities can have their own individuality, but I think particularly when it comes to the Black diaspora, I think we have a way of embodying it in such an authentic way that rather, I'm not saying necessarily this is a good thing that what I'm about to say, but we embody it in such an authentic way that other people can't help but want to be a part of it or to, um, you know, be involved in it in some way. Now, of course, at, at times that leads to appropriation and things of that nature, but I think it's just such this magical thing that happens because we're being so authentic when we do it. Um, so it's almost like, and I, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but just bear with me because this is where my mind is going. Mm -hmm. I believe that rather it's a spiritual journey or a personal development journey, the quickest and best way to get other people to join you to do their own spiritual or personal work journey is for you to be living wholly, fully, and transparently in all the beauty and love that you are doing in your journey. Like you going around trying to convince people to go on their journey is not going to work. 
right? It, like, it's better for you to just be doing you and other people be like, oh my goodness, what you been doing? Mm-hmm. Like something about you, like your vibe is, has changed. And like, you seem like you're happy. Tell me what you've been doing. And in a way, I think the black beauty effect reminds me of a similar thing because black people are just being them, right? In all of their glory and authenticity and celebration of themselves and of loving themselves and expressing themselves that other people are like, dang, what are y'all doing? Wait a minute, hold mm-hmm. on, you know what I mean? And so I think a similar um, effect is is happening, at least in my opinion. That's very true. Um, we kind of, as y'all know, sometimes we kind of dive into, you know, structuring the episode at the beginning um, before we dive in, but we don't actually get into context. But something that I feel is, I don't think there's been a time in history where Black people have been able to generate this much revenue off of our art. Because I think even during my generation, a lot of rappers, artists, musicians, you know, they lived in the same neighborhoods they were brought up in, despite being famous. You know, when they went home, they went home to the same neighborhoods um, because they weren't being paid. A lot of record companies were scamming them. Artists were really struggling, you know, and today, you know, we can access our own art and artists a lot easier and we can support them on our own. We don't have to rely on major networks or commercialize or commercials to step in to mass produce their art or content to us, you know, because of social media, we have a direct connection. And so I think that that creates almost an even more closer and quicker turnaround when it comes to our art and our development, how we express ourselves. So we can see something happen in the black community historically, or just in the media, and it will immediately get turned over into art very quickly. Or Mm -hmm. there will be some type of tribute to it almost immediately versus like, I'm sure way back, you know, and even in the 90s, any type of murals or any type of artwork, we wouldn't even see for the most part, you know, unless we knew somebody who knew somebody who knew that person who bought it, you know. Um, So I think that, you know, with that does create a lot more direct contact. And I think when we talk about the impact to the world, it's not just us anymore. Now it's other countries also having access to our art. It's also, you know, other genres having access to us as well. Um, and of course, more revenue, more wide scope, more audiences, also more fans. Um, it's funny because I think I, um, I, I don't remember what artist it was talking about when they go on tour and they look out in the audience and it's filled with a bunch of like white kids and that's very unfamiliar to them because obviously when you are an artist up and coming you start with your own neighborhood so faces look very different so people you know the people who are familiar with you but as you continue to grow become a bigger artist you cross over and now crossing over used to mean that you would step into another genre. You would step into a different space. Now artists don't really have to step into a different space. They can stay themselves and they can still land a wider audience and beauty influencers, hair market, skincare, all of that is all in the same too. All that falls into that same trajectory now today. And I think it's something that the fans are also kind of looking around and realizing like, oh shit, like they have our music in commercials. They have our favorite hair artists or, you know, um, 
Meg Thee Stallion is in commercials. Once upon a time, her music would have been deemed underground, BET, what, what was it? Unwrapped? What was Uncut. it? Uncut. Uncut, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Uncut music yeah. played, on, played at night, you know what I'm saying? We were supposed to be in the bed. Mm-hmm. Like, her music would have mm-hmm. never made mainstream once upon a time, you know? So, um, that just kind of, it just, it, it's just context. Like, that's the world we live in today when it comes to blowing up and having such a bigger audience and yeah um i agree that today um the tone turnover is really quickly from like what's happening in the community and having that converted or spoken about on social media and and, and converted to art and you're right there's a way to monetize in a way that previous generations didn't have access to Mm -hmm. um but i also think like even though we can monetize quicker and uh, monetize at all and turn over information quicker you know, I want us to remember that Black culture and the influence that it's had on the world has been happening for hundreds of years. Yes. And sometimes I think we forget that, right? And mm-hmm. so, of course, on this podcast, we try to highlight that, particularly when we do our, um, yeah, well, either one. It's not Black History Month episodes or the Black History Month episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we try to highlight in the past how we've had an impact in that way, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes I think the experience that you said where like artists, you know, go international and then they're shocked. Some of that I think is because our history isn't widely known, yeah. uh, yes. especially internationally, mm-hmm. right? Our international impact mm-hmm. is not widely known. Um, and so, um, anyway, that's just a, a point that, you know, I wanted to make. Yeah. yeah I, I was trying to think of what culture it was that we studied. I think it, it may have been Japan. I can't remember, but there were black artists that were traveling to one of these Asian countries. It and was China. It was China. Okay. And like, it was like a jazz exchange, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, it was so loud. We like, like the impact that, that we have had in Asia in general, but particularly in China. If you yeah. haven't heard that episode, that was um, last Black History Month. We did Black History Month in four different continents, excluding North America and Africa. Um, so Asia, of course, was one. We also did one on Australia, Europe, and South America. Mm-hmm. And um, our history is so vast. In, in fact, the Australia one really blew our minds. Yes. But our history is so vast. Honestly, we really could not cover it in one episode for each of those continents. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yes, you are so correct. Yeah, I just don't think, and I think, that's a shame because I want us to know that because I want us to understand how big we are you know what I mean like how collectively amazing we are and how we have been like it's not new (laughs) like it might be on so it might be cool today on social media right all the things but it's not new and so I just want us to be reminded of that um because I just think that's important for our current and future generations to know about their history yeah one thousand percent. One thousand percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Before we go and I go any further, I'm gonna go ahead and let you take it back. Okay. Um, okay. Next question is: um, How do you express your black beauty? It's a couple of things. I think um, I have a lot of eras that I have loved truly over time. Um, So for those who don't know, when it comes to me artistically, um, 
you know, I've always had a hand in quite a few things. Y'all know I'm a music lover, but I also really love art. I also really love photography um, specifically. And like the Renaissance period is like a huge um, chapter, Harlem Renaissance time frame that I just love. So when I think about just some of the artwork and some of the different elements I've seen Black people show up in and thrive in, whether Miles Davis and Duke Ellington or, um, you know, um, guy, I'm spacing on some of these other names while I'm visualing their artwork. But um, it's important to me to kind of express that element. So when I think about my home, when I think about, you know, um, my sanctuary, you know, I'm, I have a vinyl collection. Like a lot of that is kind of playing O to that era in a lot of different ways. Um, when it comes to how I express myself, once upon a time when I was a makeup artist, I was very fun with the eyeshadows and all the different looks and changing the looks as drastically and dramatically as possible. Um, I've noticed as I've gone older, my favorite look can best be described as Nia Long, you know, an eyeliner and a nice lip good skin like that is kind of like my signature go-to with a little bit of a 90s aesthetic in terms of the glow that's kind of the chapter that I take from cosmetically um and then with my natural hair I think about Velvet Rope Janet Jackson her album cover um I just love her curly hair era but so I take a lot from like different people elements along the way um and it's kind of how I express myself over time with, you know, being influenced and also just kind of just being me, um, things that I've been interested in. Um, I want to say, I feel like that's most all I can think of right now. I'm sure you'll say something that will spark something else, but I want to say that that's pretty much it, that, that they probably never heard from me. So I, I would say that that's probably how I would say I express myself. Okay. Um, I think for me, and I'm, and I'm unpacking this real time. Some of the things that come to mind for me is, um, the way I express myself. Um, I guess I can say fashion, but I think more specifically earrings, like we've talked oh, before yeah, about how <laughs> I have quite the elaborate earring collection and it's, it's gone down significantly, but it's still a lot by most people's standards. Um, and with that, and I am going to add fashion, um, because I'm going to add fashion, not in the way probably where you think I'm headed though. Like, you know, I have very dark skin and so I love bright colors rather that's a a shirt or a top or a dress that Mm -hmm. I'm wearing, or rather that's an earring or sometimes it's both, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think stereotypically there was a time when I was younger where dark skinned women and girls were encouraged not to wear bright colors. Like you're too dark, right. To wear that color. Mm -hmm. And so I think every time I put on a bright color, it's kind of a, a, not to prove that stereotype wrong um other ways um let me okay well I don't want to jump ahead so I'm going to leave that part to another answer that I think I'm going to have um our hair right we talked about our hair right Mm -hmm. okay so um you know it's no secret the journey that we've been through with our hair I had locks I've now shaved off my locks and I'm practically bald uh at this point which I absolutely 
We love it. All. I absolutely love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, and I just think it just, I mean, not, okay. I had a lot of hair with the locks. Like I definitely had two people's worth of locks in my head because that's just the way my hair works. Okay. And I don't think by any means the locks took away from me at all. But I think now that the locks are gone, like it's just me and in my raw estate sometimes is what it feels like to me. And I find beauty in that in a way that I didn't necessarily find when I had hair. Right. And so that's been a, a journey for me. Um, I talked before in a previous episode how I do do I do naked yoga. Um, and anyway, now that I at these moments where I ha- I'm doing the yoga with the bald head, it's just like it is just like African chocolateness love of self, right? Like I don't I don't even know, like I don't even know any other words to really describe it. And so for me, it's been Um, And I will go back to hair at some point. So I'm not knocking the locks, right? I'm not knocking hair. But I think for me, it's been a new relationship with my beauty in this way that was quite daring of me. And I wasn't scared to cut it off, but I think it was quite daring for me because I had always had hair. Quite frankly, I've always had a lot of hair. Even when I had a relaxer, I had a decent, you know, it was always shorter length. Uh, here, which, you know, for me in in my community, uh, at least at that time, for it to be mine was considered long. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other ways. Um, I, yeah, I think those are the ones that stick out the most to me. You know, my very exotic earrings and bright colors. And now, at least, even when I guess when I had locks, my hairstyle Um, And a lot of times I just look very, like, ethnic. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes I'd be be like, I wonder what white people think about me when they see me. Because even when I had, like, I'm a lot to take in. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a full-figured woman. I got locks for days, right? Like, I'm hitting you with the chocolate and the features, right? You know what I'm saying? And then when I took it bald, you know, now people's reaction is almost more than it was when I had the locks. I had a lady ask me if if I was from the States the other day. Oh, yeah. And I said, yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ma'am. Right from Cleveland, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm not attempting to look exotic. I'm completely okay being from Cleveland, Ohio, but a lot of times people assume that I'm from other places. Uh, I assume that I'm from other places but I think that speaks to like we are very unique in the way that we look and we have a wide range on features and hair and heights and shapes and sizes and we can be from anywhere so don't don't um put us in a box from like so because I look this way I need to be Jamaican or Nigerian or yeah I've been accused from being almost any almost any diaspora black diaspora place you can think of outside of the U.S. I've been accused of being from and I just have to politely correct people and say it's I'm from Cleveland that's (laughs) so for me I've only ever been accused of Jamaican ironically I have no idea why and I'm very familiar with Jamaican women I don't know why that specifically is all I've ever gotten um but it's interesting because when I talk to people from Africa, specifically, I want to say Nigeria. Yeah. Um, they'll ask me if I'm Nigerian, if I've ever done, um, you know, when we talk about DNA and all that stuff. And I, I am. And so then it's, oh, yeah, you look like you, look, you know, or yeah, you look Cameroon, you look this, you know, whatever the case is, which is so funny because it's like I'm half of both. It's like 40% one, 40% the other, some shit like that. 
But um, it's it's very interesting um, that what categorizes us is looking as exotic different parts different. of that. I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, especially yeah. with the bald head, it's Wakanda forever. Okay, oh, right. I'd be Wakanda forever right. in it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, like yeah. so, I get it. But then I also want us to expand our thinking and not just think that that look has to be from someplace other than over here. I you think know I mean? think just I think African American women are stereotyped to only be don't have one specific look mm. you know what that's true i think that's why that's true you know i think it's mm. a stereotype often that you know it's either it's actually mostly a bust down weave you know what i mean for the most part and they don't consider women who are not only natural hair but also bald to usually fit that look which is so interesting because i know plenty of african-american women who um are natural but um yeah that's I think that's probably what that is you're right yeah some stereotypes definitely mm-hmm. at play there mm-hmm. um okay next question well actually real quick because I'm happy you brought oh, fashion because yeah. I definitely did not talk about fashion at all um, okay yeah you got something to say about fashion well it's kind of awkward to answer because right now I'm in this weight loss phase right now where things don't fit and things okay. do fit but they fit this way so I'm gonna say traditionally Patrice is on one end of the spectrum or the other, but very extreme. And that as a curvy girl, I am pro show all the curves, all the busses, okay. all the breasts, all the bus at uh, the booties, all, all of that, all that, right? The cheekas, all <laughs> okay. of it. Okay. I am pro all that. On the other end of the spectrum, I love a good laid back nineties aesthetic. Like I, I'm so excited that loose baggy pants are back in with the big belts or, you know, sneakers are becoming more of a thing today because I'm like, yes, this is my time. I was too young for the nineties back then, but now it's my time to thrive. So I will, I will say that. Um, fashion. Wow. Um, you are the first person I've spoken to that's excited about that aesthetic coming back in that way. I'm so excited. Um, I can't say that I am excited. You know, I'm all right with a straight leg, um, but the baggy leg is not my I, I get it. It's cute. I just don't I don't I don't I'm not excited that it's back, if I'm gonna be honest. I love I'm, it. So. You know. But okay. I think that's my inner okay. basketball player, basketball short wearing. That's that's her who's like yes, our time to shine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's her. Right. Well, I support um, you. I support you in, you in in having the look. I don't know that I'm gonna join you, but I do support you having it. I support. I support that. You know, I support that. Okay. 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 So next question. Um, okay. So thinking about the documentary. Um, and those, particularly those three areas that I talked about that they cover, um, uh, makeup, then skincare and then hair, what moment stood out for you in the documentary moment or moments stood out for you in the documentary and why? Oh, that was loud. Sorry. Um, there were a couple of moments that stood out to me. Um, I'm going to say probably the most significant one was Iman um, because they described Iman's story as, you know, she's a supermodel at the height of her career and she is running around doing campaigns with her own makeup in her purse, you know, of, of a different line 
to be more specific. Um, and she's having to do her own makeup as mo- many models were at that time. Um, and they talked about, you know, there were some instances way back when where women would break down brown pencils and mix it with lotion and for to try to fix their makeup, makeup having a really ashy tone back then, which I remember very well. Um, and so Iman then decides to start her own cosmetic line, how accessible it was, and it was everywhere. And that story is relatable because when I was in my second year of doing makeup, no, it was like second or third year doing makeup, I was solely working behind the counter. And I worked for line CK1. At the time, it was Calvin Klein's cosmetic line. There was an era where, you know, fashion and clothing lines were dipping into cosmetics. And so I was a freelance makeup artist for CK1. So I went to all the Ulta stores, wherever CK1 was sold, which was all of them. And I sold the product and basically educated the store and the customers on why this is a great product, why they should want it. But they did not carry my foundation. So I would be wearing MAC or Fashion Fair Mm. and selling CK1. So, you know, at that time, representation in cosmetic stores was very, very slim to none, unless you were at a MAC counter. MAC was probably the one of the most diverse department stores, specifically, I would say, in Arizona, um, because that's most of my experience. Um, So (laughs) I'm working in Ulta. You know, there's there's other lines there. You know, I wasn't the only one. Every line would send out a salesperson to represent their line. So Stila Cosmetics, Urban Decay, Bobby Brown, um, you name it. All of those lines that you go into Ulta and you see, once upon a time, they all had a salesperson and we all showed up for our counter. Just like you would in Nordstrom or in Dillard's, for example. Okay. And so they see all these other women who are white and there's one or two black women or customers who walk in and they see me and they immediately come to me and they say, can you help me? I need my, I need foundation. Like what you've got on. And I'm like, uh, I don't sell that here, baby. You're going to have to go back to the mall up the street. <laughs> to get Mac, Cause this is what it is. And I would coach them on what to get, what to ask for. Cause a lot of them weren't familiar with Mac at that time. I think at this time, Mac was becoming more of a, it was, it was big in the cosmetic industry, but I don't know that it reached the fashion fair population the way that it did younger people, for example, you know, um, like for my mom, my Nana and my aunt, they were not wearing Mac cosmetics. I introduced them to some lipsticks, but they were still, it was too many colors for them they walked into Mac Cosmetics and they were quickly overwhelmed. They just wanted to match their face. And at that time, Mac had an approach where their salespeople also like to do what they call add-ons. So they received a commission based off their receipts and how many items were sold to each customer. So because of that, people who did not know much about makeup and did not want a whole face oftentimes were intimidated by it sometimes. And I only say that because I did mm-hmm. have a run with Mac as well for a while. So um, it kind of really benefited for me when I moved over to Nordstrom and I was a beauty artist there because there was always a Mac 
in a Nordstrom. And because I was what they call a beauty artist, you bounce around from counter to counter. So one day I would work for um, Estee Lauder, the next day Dior, the next day Mac, what have you. Um, But I could always point someone to exactly where to go and help them actually in the store. But even then, like, it's Mm. not my, obviously not my counter at at that time. But, you know, that happened a lot like I couldn't leave my shift without somebody black stopping me, a customer asking for help with makeup. And that's why I represent CK1 was a very challenging time for me as a makeup artist because I couldn't help the people who looked like me. And literally none of our products, with the exception of the mascara and the lipstick, looked good on us at all whatsoever. Yeah, um, I can remember Mac being really big here when I was in high school and Mac did my makeup for prom. Um, I went to prom three times, but I only had my makeup done for one of them. And Mac did my makeup for one. Um, mm-hmm. So I've mentioned before, like, I'm not a makeup girly, right? Like, I, I, I'm not of that world. Um, but I do remember Mac being one of the first ones that I could remember that mm-hmm. had, at least here in my city and at the time that, I, you know, you would have come of an age, you know, don't come for me if you know of a different brand. I'm just letting you know, that was my experience of like, I really didn't know. And my mother didn't know and actually asked someone like, oh, if Shayla's going to get her makeup done, where should she go? And somebody was like, oh, girl, Mac, you got to go to the Mac counter, you know, right. very similar to how you describe everybody got their own, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. So ironically, so my answer to the question, um, name a moment that stood out to you and why is a makeup moment. And so that moment is in the documentary, they talk about, um, how a lot of black women just use really basic products because there just wasn't a lot of product out there. And they talked about like our obsession with Vaseline. Okay. Especially if you're from a cold state your mama used to just slather the vaseline on your face before you went out there in the winter time i don't know exactly i mean i guess it does protect but i feel like we were doing a little too much but like yeah i'm still cold <laughs> you know what i'm saying so like i don't it's i don't know that it did with the cold, black <laughs> i guess dry. i don't know if it did with the black mamas felt it did but oh, that's what okay. everybody had going on so okay you know whatever <laughs> Um, and then I thought about my relationship with makeup or, or, or lack thereof. My mother is, she wears makeup more than I do, but she definitely, I mean, she's definitely an eyeliner, you know, lipstick type of individual. My grandmother, um, well, grandmother on my mother's side does not wear makeup again, a lipstick here and there. Maybe we really dressing up, but definitely not a makeup girly, but she's also dark skinned. Um, and then my grandmother on the other side, more so than my mother and my maternal grandmother, but still not a lot, right? So I just don't come mm-hmm. from women who, you know, at least not my direct line. Like I have some cousins and stuff like that that are more, who would be the first people I would go to if I really had some questions. But, you know, I really don't come from that. And I think the they definitely had that mindset of like, girl, you just need some water and we're going to put this lotion on and we're going to use this Vaseline. And, you know, there might be like, you know, a cream here or there sporadically used, but that was pretty much it. And so I think um, by the time I got to makeup wearing age, um, I can remember going in and being like, all right, come on, let's see. You know what I mean? And going into the aisle and there not being anything that represented me and even the darkest of shades was still not dark enough for my complexion 
And um, I've I've never was not then and still am not now. Um, I, I I can't define. I'm not gonna define myself as a tomboy by any means. But I am not like I did. I have no desire to get my nails done every two weeks. I've never done that, right? Like I don't, you know, wear makeup. I really don't wear heels, right? So um, I'm definitely a plain Jane girly, and I know like that's a diss of today. But like I'm proud to be a plain Jane Jane girly because that's what I am. I don't need me trying to be somebody else. <laughs> I would sit up here and look silly if I had a bust down and a full place face of makeup and some heels, some stilettos on. You'd be looking at me like, who is that girl? Like, you don't even look comfortable because you're not you. Like here, okay, I'm gonna you drive there to. right now. <laughs> when you have the that's and it's it's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just so mm-hmm. not me, and I think yeah. it wasn't me back then, and it's mm-hmm. not me now. And although, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm using the excuse of them not having my color and things like that, because as I got older, I definitely could have ventured into that if I wanted to. But I think the one baby little attempt that I had, it was like, you know what? It was a come to Jesus mom. Like this really isn't, I don't think this is something that's really for you, even if they had your color. And I think thus my journey of not wearing makeup began. I also don't really mind how I look without makeup, quite frankly. Um, And I've worked on maintaining, um, the clearest skin I could through vitamin E oil only. Patrice mad because she ain't experienced vitamin E oil. Listen, (laughs) vitamin E oil is the truth. Okay. It's the truth. I also don't, uh, when I was like, people used to compliment me on my skin when I was probably like 10, 11, 12. They used to be like, oh my gosh, like you have such, you know, have such good skin and I love your complexion. And by the time I got to maybe like 11, 12, um any breakouts I did have was because I was drinking sugary drinks like Mm -hmm. I gave up sugary drinks at like 12 years old I know that sounds pretty extreme but like I I just gave them up and ever since I gave them up I haven't I mean you got a pimple here and there because who don't but I really have not had any skin issues yes I have been blessed with good skin as in the routine that my mother and grandmother taught me with girl just put some water and some you know in my case vitamin E oil and that does work Um, but I also don't drink things that I knew would add to that being taken away from either. You know what I mean? Um, so that, that was that for me. So yeah, that was the moment for me where I really had to reflect upon like, why don't you wear makeup? And like, what is the, and I seen this post where, you know, again, you know, a lot of times people come from the plain Jane girlies. Um, and they, I don't forget what exactly what the post said, but essentially it was a diss to like, since you don't even know how to do makeup. And I don't. Since, I mean, you, <laughs> Many I don't. women don't know how I don't, to do makeup. Okay. Though. I don't. Many you don't. know what I mean? I don't. Many don't. Um, and I'm okay with that. I mean, if I really want to get it professionally done, I think there are more options today than ever before. Um, but they just, the Mm -hmm. options just weren't there. They weren't there when I was in high school. And I can even remember a time when I was in college and, um, we were in the mall and I was in the, in the mall with a friend of mine who isn't light skinned, but much, many shades lighter than myself. And, um, you know, he was like, oh, you know, working the counter, trying to sell whatever he was. Oh yeah. Let me, you know, let me do y'all makeup or whatever. And did she go first? I want to say she went first. And then when I got in the chair and he was like, girl, you're so beautiful. You don't need no makeup. And then, I mean, that, that, at surface, that sounds like a compliment, but then I thought like, is it that I don't need makeup? Is that it, you didn't even know how to do my makeup? Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, because yeah. I'm like, you a salesperson, you should at least be able to offer mm-hmm. your lip color. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. You supposed to be able to get paid commission off, and then when I I really sat in the chair, like he made me get out the chair. Like at first I thought he was just joking, you know, like oh girl, you so cute that you yeah, don't even, you know, ha 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 ha, you know what I'm saying? He didn't know how to do it, and I was like, and that's a college it. experience. I was in college mm-hmm. when that experience happened, so um, I'm comfortable being a girly that does not wear makeup. I wouldn't change that for a world for the world because I do feel that's just a part of me. I just, that's just me and my makeup. Cause I'm just not, I just don't like uh, things that require for me to do them on a daily basis when it comes to maintenance. That's just we me. We talk about this with However, hair too. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Girl. Yes. Yeah. That's why I like the locks. I don't mm-hmm. know what I'm going to do when I, when I grow out uh, my hair again, because that sounds like that's going to require something of me other than shaving it every week. So I don't <laughs> what I'm gonna do uh you know so yeah so that's just me that's not that's no shade to makeup or anything that's just me um but yeah but then I reflect upon these moments where if I did really have a desire to you know live the makeup girl life there were moments that would that definitely would have been challenging or impacted or deterred me for sure so yeah I don't know that's just what came up for me personally when they were talking about that in the documentary yeah no but is this 1000 true like we couldn't get shades of brown, <laughs> let alone dark brown, 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 light brown, like appropriate browns. I remember when there was a time where your foundation as a brown girl either made you look pissed off and red or hella ashy and like this pasty gray or like brown or sometimes green, depending on your undertones. Like they couldn't get brown, right? Just brown. That's it. Not variations of it. So 1000%, like it would have been incredibly challenging for you with deeper tone to ha- walk up to the cosmetic counter and do this. I think that was a big motivation for me to just go after on my own. Um, it wasn't so much like, cause women in my family don't wear makeup. They'll say they do. They don't, they don't wear makeup. Um, <laughs> lipstick and eyebrow pencil is not makeup. You know, um, I love them. They look great. And they have beautiful mm-hmm. skin too. Um, but you know, I think I've talked about this where there was an era where they didn't do, you know, they didn't like the fake hair. They didn't like a whole lot of makeup or anything. I think my mom probably is the most flamboyant when it comes to makeup. Um, but even then, like she doesn't wear foundation. She'll do, she's more of a blush and a little mascara with the lipstick. That's usually her, that's her makeup base. You know, she's not a contouring highlight blush, you know what I'm saying? Um, and all of that eyeshadow, none of that. Um, that's kind of just me. When I think about my family, I'm kind of the only one with the exception of my sisters, um, who are younger than me at that, not, not the older ones, um, for the most part. But so, yeah, like, I don't know. Um, I I think it, it really was, though. I did come up with acne, and I have shared that I had psoriasis. So, you know, dealing with the scarring in high school, because I've shared with y'all that, you know, having psoriasis, the black scars go down my face, and it used to really just, like, really frustrate me, and, like, all the acne scars all over my face used to really bother me and that's of course a pivotal time and I'm playing basketball so I'm sweating a lot so that was actually when I started wearing makeup my stepmom was like here take this and it was a Clinique um foundation powder and I tried it 
was incredibly ashy. And then my Nana took me to go get some fashion fair later. Um, once I told her I was starting to wear makeup and the rest was history. I just kept on dabbling and kept on trying stuff. Um, but in high school, I didn't do much. Um, it wasn't until like college, literally the summer before college, I really dived into makeup and was like, I actually want to get really good at this. And it kind of became a thing then. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to like, how far makeup has come in a short period of time, but also sad that like there weren't even a lot of options for millennials. Like if you are a late (laughs) 80s, early 90s baby, like Mm -hmm. by the time you reached, I don't know, to me 16-ish is yeah makeup age i don't i'm sure today uh little girls aren't wearing it much sooner than that but for me that was that was the 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 threshold Mm -hmm. i mean you're talking about early 2000s like late 90s early 2000s like even oh like oh three oh five oh seven like it just the options just quite frankly was still as far as i'm concerned not there were they better than our our mother and our grandmother but were they today like you know that and that's why fenty you know yeah set the world on fire the way that it did because of the gazillion I don't know really the real number but the gazillion uh shades that (laughs) a lot uh shades that she offered Mm -hmm. you know what I mean even now there are other products that like you know you can put it on and it adjusts to your skin tone and things like that that it just it just wasn't it just was not an option to me when we would have been getting at the age that we would have been introducing ourselves to makeup it just wasn't yep so yep Sure. We ain't that old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Next question. So when it comes to black beauty in general, but particularly some of the history around black beauty and what that means for black women or black people in general, why is it important for us to continue to have these conversations? Right? Because I'll be honest, if you haven't watched the, um, the documentary, there are parts, there is some history that I actually did not know and had not heard anywhere else, but there is a good portion of the history, particularly around hair that we did know, right? They touched on Teen Yon Laws, and which of course we had a bonus episode about and several other things that has been mentioned in like, for example, Hair Tales kind of went over that. And there's other documentaries long before Hair Tales, um, you know, that went over that. So some could feel that part of this information is repetitive, right? But why is it important that we continue to have these type of conversations? I think um, when you know where you come from, it keeps us on track for what growth has to look like. And the goal isn't for us to all keep doing the same thing. The goal is for us to keep climbing as a, as a community. And one of the influencers or I want to say it was maybe an influencer who said I can't remember it may have been Alamade actually of topicals but um she said you know you want generational wealth and so you want to see you know the the ideas for these companies to be able to sell and then gain billions of dollars etc etc but right now when these companies sell they're selling to a unit lever or a L'Oreal or what have you. And the black community gets very upset about that. You know, they go up in the uproar. Are they a seller? Are they this? Are they that? I think if these folks knew what it meant for this creator, this founder to now become a billionaire, 
and what that can do as far as bringing us closer to that, whether it's investing in more small businesses to then, you know, uplift more small businesses because the likelihood of us getting approved for loans is also slim to none as well, you know, or whether it's these billionaires coming together and creating a Unilever so some of these other companies can sell to a Black-owned, bigger, you know, company. Um, I'm going to call it a big machine because I don't know what the name of these things are actually technically called. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, That is the goal, you know? And I think we have to talk about where we come from as a reminder of where we're trying to go to, where we're trying to get, and also how much more work has to be done. You know, we talk about some of the viral moments today of these rich skin influencers trying cosmetic lines. I mean, these are cosmetic lines that have Spark that has sprouted maybe in the last year or two, who are still advertising to darker complected skin, but actually do not carry darker complected products because when these influencers get a hold of this, um, of these foundations, they don't match. They are like a copper brown, you know. Um, so instances like that that keep happening, you know, there are still a lot of natural hair artists that need to come through so that way our actresses and our, you know, um, models have people on set that know how to take care of their hair. You know, there's still so much work that needs to be done to support representation in these industries. I think the more we continue to talk about the better. I think right now, um, I don't want to generalize, generalize nobody. I feel like it's Gen Z. I don't know. I don't know. Gen Z, when the internet sees one of these black companies sell their companies to someone who's not black, there's a big uproar right now. And I don't know that that's 1000% fair. You know, Brianna decided to step away from being CEO of Fenty Beauty, I want to say maybe within the last six months. And Mm -hmm. the new owner is not a white woman. Or no, sorry, it's not a black woman, it's a white woman. And now it's, oh my goodness, you know, she's handed to a white woman. Oh my goodness, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There's so much negativity spread about that. We need more black women CEOs. We do. We need more. So that way when she, when companies like this hand off, there's someone there. You know what I mean? We don't have that. CEOs are majority white men. Think about the percentage that are not only black women, but women at all. You know, um, so it just speaks to where, how much work needs to happen still. And I think it also creates a reminder of, hey, checking in level set, guys. This is where we're at on our forecast. This is where we need to go. You know, X amount of time is the is rent. We're going to check back in a little later just to make sure everybody's still on the same page. That's what it feels like to me. So we can keep mm. things on. Um, and even understanding, because the last thing I would ever see is people start to pull their support for a company because of this or pull their support for a founder because of when really now that founder can create many black businesses. Yeah. Um, OK, so a couple good points that I think kind of go into my answer. Why is it important to continue to have these conversations? Um, so to piggyback what you said. I mean, when it comes to them, quote unquote, being a sellout, unfortunately, I understand both sides, right? Like I get the fear, right? Because 
when it comes to black people health in general and beauty products and things like that sometimes those outside of the sometimes people within a community but particularly those outside of the community cannot be trusted right so like are they going to put something in this product that can harm me or are they going to do something and head the, the the company in a direction maybe that isn't beneficial for my people so I understand the concern but then I also understand that like this is how business works and to Patrice's point um there needs to be more of us in these spaces so that when these in, uh, individuals need to sell off their company, let someone else take over the company, you know, Rihanna's a new mother of two, all right? <laughs> so, right, so when things like that happen, they have a wider selection of companies, conglomerates, people, CEOs, et cetera, to assist them with, you know, this transition. So I, I totally get that. Um, I think it's, it's important for us to continue to have these conversations for a few reasons. I think inspiration for one, right? Because perhaps there's a Gen Zer or a millennial watching that documentary that's like, you know, well, why don't I create a conglomerate mm-hmm. so that there is an additional option out here? So that people don't have to do that anymore, exactly. right? Because how would you know that that's needed unless a documentary like this highlighted mm-hmm. that that's a, a possible problem? And then I think also the documentary, get, it spit off a lot of facts, a lot of facts about about men and women who started businesses, started, you know, were the first one to do this and the first one to do that. And so I think, I hope that's inspiration to see that like someone that looks like you did something 10, 20, 50 years ago that today has taken off, taken the world by storm and is a lucrative way to make business, right? Because I think business ideas can sometimes piggyback off of other business ideas. I think it's also important for us to know our history just in that way to not forget, right? Like, you know, I brought up that point about my experience uh, with makeup and things like that. So like I'm 34, right? And I have an experience when I was in high school and college to be able to speak of where they didn't have options. Like it wasn't that long ago, right? So I love for us to remember that it wasn't that long ago Mm -hmm. because I don't ever want us to get comfortable into thinking that that's no longer a problem. And even if, you know, Rihanna, and I'm sure there are other brands, because again, I'm not a makeup girly, so I don't, don't come for me, but I'm sure Rihanna's brand Fenty and other brands, although we've come a long way, don't mean we don't need another one. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked the um, the founder of Topical was on there and she was talking about how she created this space and why she created this space, because, you know, for people with um, essentially chronic skin issues and ailments and things of that nation of that notion. And so I just I want us to feel empowered. I want us to feel inspired. And I think those are the main reasons why I think it's important for us to continue to have the conversation and not forget because something sparks something else. And there were a lot of women who talked about how another woman inspired them who was also on the documentary, right? Mm -hmm. So that that just goes to speak to like the generation before you is watching you. Mm -hmm. Um, Excuse me, the generation that comes after you is watching you. And how can you add to this and and be a part of the solution and not the problem? Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what I think of as far as why the conversation still needs to be had. Yep, 1000%. It also goes back to like... um... When we talk about our civil rights leaders, for example, and how so much work died with them. Mm. And not very much followed. And Mm. even the movements that then followed, 
eventually dies off too. You know, and so when you think about creating a chain reaction that runs through every millennia, right? Um, I do, it's, it's important to obviously keep having these conversations, but also pass the torch. Mm, Brianna cannot yeah. be your translator, your favorite music artist, and keep making music today, and a mother, and a CEO. And you know what I'm saying? Like, we, at some point, it's a pass the torch moment. She has made such a huge impact on her life, and she's young on our lives, and she's so young. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like, let that lady move how she want to move, you know? Um, it's same thing with, like, the icons like Beyonce, for example. She's now launched a perfume, you know? Um, these are icons, but there is a lot of space for more icons, like, mm-hmm. that take the torch. Like, they are passing the torch by example and showing us so much blueprint of how things can be done. You know, I doubt any any cosmetic company that comes out with less than 40 shades that claims to be inclusive, baby, they got that. That's the comparison. That is the comparison. Are you inclusive? Well, let's see. You know, that is how that's going to go down. Um, and it's it's our trademark, but I don't think it's fair for us to expect these people to be super women. Like we're talking about mm. hundreds of years of this. This one person, this one lifespan is not going to make up for it, but we can improve it over time, which is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think, I hope that it challenges us to continue to raise the bar. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's Mm -hmm. not from a competitive nature of like, I'm gonna come out with 50 shades. You know what I mean? But just from a, (laughs) like, how can I, you know what I mean? Like, how can Mm -hmm. I take what these women have already given me the foundation for how can I expand upon that that's what innovation is about and quite frankly that's what um that's what other people do outside of our community right like that's how they build their um brands and make Mm -hmm. billions and things like that by continuing to build upon previous ideas Mm -hmm. um so I I just that's what I, I hope for us I hope these conversations do that you know because the next generation um you know it ain't over. We ain't finished. Our work is not done. Ain't nobody so, singing. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. plenty, plenty of opportunity for us to to make it what we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, it's almost exciting to see, like, ooh, what is the next generation gonna do? Like, I'm excited yeah. you know, just to see where it goes. The innovation. I think we're so innovative. We are such innovative people. And so um, being able to see that on display, I think is really cool as a woman um, to see it in the black beauty space, you Mm -hmm. know, skincare, hair care, whatever, um, I think is even more, you know, exciting. 1000%. You know, um, the Lisa Prices, who um, are the, who's the founder of Carol's Daughter, you know, it's them and it's the, you know, that also pay homage to Alamade of, of topicals. You know what I'm saying? Like she's 24 years old. Well, she was 24 years old and she had already raised millions of dollars for topicals. And I'm be honest, when I first came across them, I thought they were too good to be true. And so I straight, because I am a psoriasis, separate, however you say that word, dermatitis person. So I do suffer with these skin conditions. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever used our product? I have not. Because I thought it was too good to be true. I was like, no way. These some people who just edit in their skin. I thought it was way too good to be true. But then I saw it in Sephora. And I was like, huh. 
And now I see her on here. And now I'm even more excited, like, knowing her mission. I never even looked into the, the line at all. So now I'm even more excited to look into it. I had never heard of her line, honestly, until this documentary. Really? Um, and I, I probably need to, because this isn't something that I share very often, but I actually, I have a chronic skin condition called hydronitis supertiva. Mm. And um, ironically, you know what has really helped me? This is random, but you know what has really helped me? Um, there, there's varying degrees of hydronitis supertiva, first of all. And it's a chronic skin condition. And a lot of times when you have it, people don't know that you have it because... Um, you get painful boils in places that are not easily seen. For many people, that could be underneath the arm. It could be underneath the breast for some women, women in your groin, um, scalp, um, belt line, places that like you just wouldn't normally see. Anyway, um, cute. And, okay, she is not paying me. Let me put this out here, okay? <laughs> she is not paying me. But the woman who made cute and clean panty wash, mm-hmm. She makes a variety of products, not just a panty wash. She's a dermatologist. She also has a soap specifically for hydronitis supertiva. And that has been the thing that has helped me the most. Um, and I've probably had her soap for at least over a year now. So I don't know that I was on a journey to be looking for mm-hmm. creams and things like that because what she provides me has been helpful. Um, it also gets better when I change my diet and things of that nature. So that's a story for another day, but it can be, it, it is a very painful um, skin condition and the it can vary with the degrees of severity. Mm. Um, and actually there's like a community online where people are showing, you know, their scars and things like that from it. And mine's is, it used to be more severe when I was younger, but it's not nearly as severe as some others. So I think sometimes I don't want to say I forget cause it don't let me forget, but I don't, I don't think to mention it as a skin condition cause it's just not nearly as severe as some of the situations I've seen. Um, but I think that's amazing because there's so many chronic conditions that impact the black community specifically. I'm confident that we're at a higher rate to get certain things. We're more genetically dispositioned to get things. So that's amazing. When I heard about topicals, because I really didn't, I didn't know anything about her um, until this documentary. And I was like, oh, I should check to see if she has anything for hydronitis super TV. Yeah, like they had some really good lines in here. Um, uh, the unseen sunscreen. I do use that one. Um, that's probably the only sunscreen oh, wow. that I use and I love it. Um, sunscreen used to break me out really bad or like just leave it as a cast, whatever. So I'm very familiar with that line. Um, but yeah, like there was some pretty good, there's a lot of information in this documentary y'all. So it's definitely beneficial, um, information you'll come across and want to Google and learn more about for sure. Um, to keep the conversation going. Um, and as we said, like, it's always good to revisit these conversations because it wasn't a go friends. It's not. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 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 Yeah. Um, so anything else you want to add before we head out? I think that's it. Yeah. I believe that's all friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, we hope that you go watch the documentary if you haven't already, you know, seen it. So hopefully something in the documentary or something you know today resonates with you. Um, and we will talk to you. You will hear us. You will hear us next time. See you later, intellects. Bye-bye. Bye.